is Speaking Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Where I'm coming from. 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And like, you know, what... And especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. Alright, this is Speaking Educationally with... Uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. All right, so I believe this is episode eight, if I'm not mistaken, and we are still in the middle of COVID. Still in the middle of COVID nineteen. Still figuring out our distance learning plan. Some of us are farther along than others. Um, we usually start off the show with a little bit of a story. Um, I'm going to just put it out there like this, and this is going to be the. Uh, G-rated version of the R-rated version I was told before the show, but <laughs> my daughters got into it today. Let's just say that. It's been a lot of family time, and we have a schedule, and the two of them, um, let's just say, got a little violent with each other, and I had to break it up. I felt like I was, you know, in middle school, breaking up a fight in the lunch, in the lunch, in the cafeteria, um, but they, they got it back together afterwards and, and made up, and we're sitting with each other on the couch about 30 minutes later, and was, everything was fine, but as a family, we have definitely uh, struggled a bit with um, getting along. So, how about how about you all? How are you guys doing? Hanging in there? Just trying to do the best um, with juggling professional stuff along with the kids, um, making sure that they are making good use of their time because their school is a little a uh, little farther behind with. Um, the distance learning. So just a little bit of things that we have gotten implementing and just trying to keep them from being at each other's throats. Yeah. Literally. I know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You got, it's, Dina? it's, um, it's not been, um, it's not been the same kinds of challenges because I, I have two kids here, but one of them is, um, you know, almost 18 years old. So he's pretty much self-managing. And then my son who's 11, um, he's actually been keeping on top of everything, which has been really cool. Um, you know, so he's, he's like pretty self-motivated when it comes to doing the, the things, but he does struggle when he has to sit down and write. Um, that's a little bit of a challenge for him. So he becomes very whiny, um, and very needy when he has to, to do any form of writing. However, um, it's writer's having, block. Just tell him it's writer's block. <laughs> he um, he just struggles with it, and so we just you know we try to try to do the best we can with it. But um, you know tonight he was um, tonight he was a little bit more clingy than normal. Um, so he just you know so I had to spend a little bit more time with him, and you know sometimes we forget when we're we're managing all the parts of things we're managing right now that you know the the biggest piece that needs to be managed the most important piece that needs to be managed as a parent is the you know is the emotional end of it and so yeah. once we can kind of you know help to to nurture that a little bit sometimes the other things fall in place and i think these updates are cool because i think that the three of us are awesome educators obviously but we do struggle i mean we struggle every single day during this uh, pandemic. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm definitely not perfect and I don't have all the answers, but the the thing that I think is most important is that I know that if I don't have the answers, somebody else does or somebody can at least talk me down. Mhm. That's cool. So, in that, we're going to try to take your minds off this a little bit, but obviously we'll definitely it, it all circles around COVID-19 at this point. Every conversation I've had in my life 
circles back to that, but we did want to bring up this idea and I'm going to put in the show notes, um, where this, uh, sort of definition or this uh, chart came from, but the idea of toxic positivity versus validation and hope. So I'm going to read to you. And again, it'll be in the show notes, the link, you can see all this, the, 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 the what I'm trying to say here, but it's toxic pox positivity is you'll get over it. Just be positive. Good vibes only. Stop being so negative. Validation and hope would be, this is hard. You've done hard things before, and I believe you. I know there's a lot that could go wrong. What could go right? All vibes are welcome here. It's pretty normal to have some negativity in this situation. So anything you guys want to speak to just about those sort of explanations or definitions of those two different ideas? Um, I think that for, I think that for me, what I think happens sometimes. So I, I think we've all been in a situation where we have been around colleagues who wanted to just focus on, um, issues without that issues that are outside of our control, or they want to just bad mouth the kids, you know? And I think we've all been in a situation where we've been around colleagues where that's been, that's been the case. Um, so when it comes to stuff like that, I do tend to lean on, you know, some more, I guess, toxic positivity language where I'm like, you know, I I can't be around that person because I want to focus on meeting my students' needs. And if this is what you're going to say, I don't know that I can be around you right now. So I think in it, in some I would call cases, that positivity, though, without the toxic part. Yeah, it's it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, but I, I think that for some of the people, it comes off as being well intentioned. But the problem and where it kind of mutates into something that is toxic is that when people are faced with significant challenge, and the only thing you want them to do is just talk about things that are positive, how are we supposed to have a dialogue if that is your angle? Yeah. Well, I think too, what you were speaking about though, too, is I think a lot of uh, educators put the blame on the kids and they say the kids are the ones that are having the problems. And Mm -hmm. there's certainly kids that have problems, but, and also a lot of it is our reaction to their problems, which creates a larger problem. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But so Gerard, anything about to you about toxic positive positivity? Versus validation and hope. Um, I just don't want to jump the gun, but yeah, that the way that toxic positivity um, plays out is kind of kind of look at it as two words. It's a way to cover up something that really needs to be discussed or addressed. Yeah. So I think we should just jump the gun. I think a lot of this, what we come from with this, is what we've seen on social media. I think. The reason why this conversation came up between the three of us, because we talk off air quite a bit, is that we've just seen this, you know, shift from educators and maybe people in our, you know, you know, uh, personal spheres that just want to center their ideas around that, you know, as long as we're always being kind and nice and everything's wonderful and yada, 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 that everything is going to work itself out. And I think the problem with that thinking is, that you kind of put a veil over real issues and nothing ever actually gets resolved. Mm-hmm. So do you guys want to give any examples of things that you've seen on social media that might, you know, contribute to the toxic positivity and or how you feel in general about that idea? 
anytime an issue is brought up regarding race, mm-hmm. um, you know, regarding um, LGBTQ plus, um, it seems to be that people only want to focus on, well, that's that's not how it happens here. This is not how I do it. Right. Um, and I'm like, you know, I've never seen it. Yeah, like um, you know, instead of instead of recognizing that you know each person's circumstance and situation is going to be different from yours, and it doesn't make it less valid, um, you know, it, they they want to say, oh well, well that's that's not what you should focus on, and can't you talk about something else? Well, no, I'm having a problem. <laughs> like it, and it's like it 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 becomes a, you know, we see, and I'm trying to think to give a good solid example. Um, we see a lot of people who, when they say, um, that, you know, they've analyzed data and they're looking at subgroups within their data and they notice that, you know, our marginalized populations are, you know, seem to be the ones who are not passing certain assessments or they seem to be the ones who are, um, facing, um, punitive consequences the most in a building. Um, then it becomes a, well, but that student never shows up to class. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, and can't, and why can't you just, um, why can't you just focus on all these other kids who are doing so well? Well, because if we have a significant population of our students who are not being successful, then that's a problem. And we need to start addressing how we can make that a difference. And what ends up becoming problematic is that there's never a solution for it. There's never a way to get out of it because if you're only focusing on what is quote unquote positive, then it doesn't lead to opportunity to solve problems and make all of our learners successful. Right. Cause um, you never resolve any issues, but it, Gerard, it never does. Yeah. And to piggyback off of Dana on the one part of that, when it comes to a certain marginalized group um, not being successful, I think that's played a lot of that data feeds or a lot of that data toxic positivity is used to cover up when it's played out on social media, as well as in schools all across the country. When those discipline numbers are looked at and or those special ed numbers are looked at and you see that the African-American population or the low um, socioeconomic classes of that particular area are the ones that are making up the huge portion of the uh, low academic achievement on state tests and the high numbers of discipline. A lot of times the conversation around it, um, basically a lot of the comments and the conversation around it, that toxic positivity plays out like trying to put a positive spin on it. Like, well, these students are being, no, let's look, but let's look at what these students these black students or these Hispanic students or these Asian students are getting written up for. And when you start digging into that data, that's when we go right back to leading right back to implicit biases. So that toxic positivity, Mm -hmm. those statements um, and those actions are used to cover up the truth of no, this, these are some hard conversations and we're not going to use good vibes only or other positive statements to try to cover up or silence that human experience that is right in front of us. So Gerard, before the show used, yeah, I agree. But you also used this, the the term smokescreen and we were Mm -hmm. talking about a completely different topic, but I wonder if this is a little bit of a smokescreen as to 
keeping you away or keeping you at distance so that we don't have that conversation because it becomes uncomfortable at that point. And I think we're, you know, mostly as a white person, you know, it's uncomfortable having this conversation, especially with people of color. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why that is uncomfortable. Like that's a million dollar question that we probably won't answer in the next 20 or 30 minutes. But what makes, I mean, what makes that conversation uncomfortable? And I think that reverts back to if I can just be super positive and then I can call you out, like, why are you being all aggressive? Mm-hmm. Why are you being all wanting to talk about? We, all we do is talk about race, Gerard. All we do is talk about uh, female inequities, Dina. Like, what? why do we have to talk about this stuff all the time? Like, why is, why is that conversation hard for white people, especially white males? A, a lot of times it's hard for a lot of people um, because it's going to it's going to lead to pulling back some some peeling back some layers of some practices that you are or the organization is deficient in. For example, if you are looking at um, low academic numbers or high discipline numbers and you start peeling back them layers and you realize that you may be in a school where the population is. 80% black and the 20 per, the 20% is white in other nationalities and that 20% is has a higher level of academic achievement and lower um discipline incidences when you start peeling back them layers you may see that there are some inequities in your hiring practices because you aren't even being um intentional about hiring um educators in that building that look like your student population and when and and that's when these layers start getting peeled back so before you can even get to those under undercurrent layers if you start making those statements um of uh referring to uh racism or somebody feeling like uh that you're you're being negative it kind of can deflect from where you can end up going down a longer road where, whoa, we got some bigger issues than we thought. Yeah. So, so let me go to the idea about peeling back layers. Cause I think peeling back layers, what that ends up doing is shifting power. So mm-hmm. as the more layers that you peel away, the more you shift power from those that have been powerful to those that haven't. And I've used this analogy before, but I feel like it's kids learning to ride a bike, right? So you put training wheels on a bike and you control how fast they go. They really can't turn very well. They can only do so much. They, you know, like they're kind of hesitant because they're not sure what's going to happen if they take the training wheels off. But the second you take the training wheels off a bike, it becomes a totally different toy to play with. Like it's like all of a sudden now it's like an amazing thing. You can turn, you can stop. I mean, it just becomes so much more amazing. And I think, you know, as the people in power, which in most cases is, is the white people and probably all cases, um, you know, we're afraid to pull the training wheels off. And I think toxic positivity coming back to the subject topic tonight is our way of, like you said earlier, smoke screening the real conversation. I really think it comes down to that, especially with social media and all sorts of other things. Like, look what I'm doing for my kids of color. It's so wonderful. And it's like, okay, hold on. Let's all put, it's a, like, put, a, put, put a break on that for a second, but go ahead. And I know Dina probably can speak to this. It's like, I'm looking at the show notes and I've, it's like, I really want to go here, but I don't want to jump the gun because jump it, jump it. It doesn't matter. Just jump it. <laughs> because for years, for this past several years, when the hashtag or anything involving Black Lives Matter on social media, that is the epitome of toxic positivity. Because the what's the generic comeback, y'all? All lives All matter. matter. <laughs> we didn't even set that up. I swear to God, we didn't set that up. <laughs> 
Well, and so here is, you know, here's something that I've witnessed over, you know, my years of being a teacher. Um, when you start having conversations with people about changing their practice, a lot of the default response that I hear coming from teachers is, but I work so hard. You know, I work so hard and here's the thing. And I'm going to, I tend to use sports metaphors a lot when I talk to kids about, you know, writing or what have you. And we've talked before about how, when you don't have the right form, you cannot throw a ball correctly. You cannot, you know, hit a ball correctly. Mm -hmm. The form matters. And if you have consistently practiced with the wrong form, for 15 years. I like years. where you're going. I like where you're going here. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. And, and I, and I, I use this, I use sports metaphors a lot when I teach, but um, um, if you have consistently practiced the wrong thing over a 15 per- year period of time, nobody is saying that you're not working hard. Nobody is saying that your life is not difficult. Nobody is saying your life isn't challenging. Nobody is saying that you have not had trauma. Nobody is saying any of those things. But what we are saying is that you are practicing the wrong form and your form is causing harm to your students. Right. And so. I I love it. I I still want to jump in because I got my own example, but go ahead. You so spoke something. and, And so that is oftentimes when a conversation becomes you know, we're looking at changing these practices because we want to make sure that we are better including our marginalized groups of kids. People have a difficult time with the conversation because I think to some degree, they are desperately afraid that when you start chipping at those layers, that they're going to find things that are means they're going to have to make changes, which they don't want to do because the, the default of it. But I work so hard. The beauty of it, though, is you become more self-aware. And, and I think once you start chipping away, you become more self-aware. And I think that's what's happened to me. I can only speak from my own white existence. I've become more self-aware. And now becoming even more self-aware than I was two years ago is exciting to me. That's where I like what Gerard said about peeling the layers away is so important. Because as I peeled my own layers away, I started to realize the mistakes that I had made and the yep. implicit biases that I had and the microaggressions that I had caused and all sorts of other things. You know, my quick analogy, and then Gerard, you can, you can jump in, is my handwriting is horrible. And I've always had a fixed mindset about my handwriting. It's always been like, wow, I can't fix it. I can't fix it. And I've always thought, you know, it was about two, well, maybe three years ago, where a, a coach of mine said, but Doug, when you are writing in front of the staff, like, if they can't read it, then your message isn't getting out there. And I'm like, okay. So I really cognizant, like, I not consciously, think about my handwriting when I'm in front of staff, because if I'm writing something, they can't read it, then it doesn't matter. So, I mean, I don't know how that fits into your analogy, but when it came to practicing the wrong thing, I thought about my handwriting, but yeah, you have to try to make improvements or else there's no point in existence at that point. So, sorry, I went one off on a tangent there. Gerard, anything you want to throw out there about what we're talking about? No, I'm enjoying this one. Oh, <laughs> That's your new favorite saying. Uh, well, by the way, we have a few favorite sayings, and, and Dina brought up last week toxic positivity, and I was like, "Oh wow, we have to, we have to roll with this one." All right, so we got another question. So, where does positive, positive, where does positivity fit um, into in discussions, and where do we want to shift away from it? So, are there places that um, 
positivity just does fit in. And Dina, you talked about that a little bit earlier when someone's just a total curmudgeon. I mean, obviously being positive with that person is necessary, but are there moments where we want to just shift away from not being just positive and being more real? Um, I mean, I feel like we've covered that a little bit already, but are there other examples or, or instances where you can think of that we could interrupt conversations? And because I think that's what this podcast is all about is about how to have conversations with people from different backgrounds and be comfortable with them. So are there ways that any of you could think of that that could happen and or anything else you want to add? So I will be the first to step up and, and say this, and, and I don't know how unique my situation is, but I'm guessing with being a human and having human experiences, it's, it's pretty consistent with other people. Um, I did not, and I think I've said this before, I didn't give myself permission to say that I was a good teacher until about a year to two years ago. Um, this is the, it's being able to say that I'm a, a good teacher is a fairly new concept for me. And when I, especially when I was in my first couple of years teaching, I would never really look at what I did well. You know, I, I tended to just kind of spend a lot of time looking at what wasn't working to try and fix it. Um, but I think in terms of working at your own practice as an educator, it's important to be able to recognize things that you are doing well, especially so that you have an angle of comparing the what you're doing well to when something isn't going well, you're able to better analyze it to figure out how do you need to change what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so I think in those instances, the positivity is necessary. Um, and it, to me, that's not even being positive. That's just being giving yourself an honest assessment of what you're doing in your classroom. Um, so in those instances, positivity is helpful. Um, it's, it's helpful to look at what students are doing that you can you know, highlight and, you know, reflect on positively and add to that because those experiences are what keep us going back to teaching even when we have really difficult days. Um, So in those instances, it's, it's important, but when the one in the desire to have a quote unquote, good vibes only classroom supersedes the one in desire to make quality learning experiences for all of your students that is when it becomes problematic. Yeah. And I think something that we brought up, and I didn't put this in the notes, but I, something that was brought up, I think, by you, Gerard, is about people taking advantage of their social media presence during a time like this with COVID-19. And I wonder if I'm sure there's some things that you want to say about that, but I think that is definitely trying to use positive or positive toxic positivity uh, to your advantage to just, you know, it's great that you're doing great things for your students remotely is fantastic. But Gerard, do you want to talk to that at all about things that you've noticed online or in social media about how people are taking advantage of that or trying to capitalize on it? Yeah. Um, it's, it seems like it's just a, a, a overwhelming sense of overgeneralization, overgeneralizing. I can't even speak tonight. That That's all right. <laughs> none of us, none of us can't. Really. <laughs> We're all struggling. We've been yeah. for like three weeks straight. <laughs> of or like invalidation. It's like they're they're overdoing the human emotional experience when um, it's at a time where we have to we need to be supporting each other because there are a lot of educators that are that are scared to death and. You got some people out here that's trying to make a name for themselves or 
branding and not everybody, but I see a little overdoing of it, um, which could actually make other teachers feel like, wow, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm not doing enough when we should be maybe now, I do like you know, the, I do like the post where I see people like celebrating the fact of after two weeks, they were able to bond with their kids. But some yeah. some people are getting to the point where I'm seeing like stuff being put out there like come join me for this and I can train you on this. And um, this is what I've been doing. Like some people need to pump the brakes because they're going overboard with it. Well, not only that, I mean, it's one thing because you have those great hashtags out there that I'm not going to call anybody out. And it's like, how great is my classroom? How great is my classroom? How great is my classroom? And in times where things are normal and everyone's in school and you can kind of like you're on an equal footing or whatever, it's fine. But in times where not only do you not have equity when it comes to, you know, let's be real, you have to have a device at home. You have to have teachers mm-hmm. that are trained in how to do distance learning or online learning or whatever you call it. In a time where the separation between those that have and those that have not is greater than ever, mm-hmm. to then promote the idea that you're doing better than somebody else or to promote that toxic positivity of how your classroom or your thing is rolling or how many kids you got on a Zoom or blah, 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 blah. Like, it is just, I mean, to me, it just reeks. It just reeks of just, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, but it just drives me insane because, you know, my post... And we've done wonderful things in my school, but I don't Same want to post out. I don't want to post out like, can you believe that we? Oh my gosh, we had this entire thing set up and everything else. I mean, because I'm going to make someone that already may not feel as adept as I am, or at the same privilege level that I am, I'm going to make them feel worse. And they have zero, zero ability because they can't even leave their house right now to try to get to the levels that 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 I may be at or some other educator may be at, and that's not fair. It's just not okay. I don't think there's anything okay about that on any level. And it makes me furious because I can just shut my mouth right now. Mm. Like when it comes to social media, I can just not say anything. I put some things out there about like Zoom this and I've responded to some things here and there. But I'm really trying to stay away from like, I can't believe how amazing this is. Like, because this just isn't the time for that. This Mm -hmm. is the time for like, you can tell your staff face to face how amazing they are. You can pump them up and you can give them a bunch of positivity. But to put it out there right now is just not the time or the place, I don't think, at all. And that's just maybe my take. But And one, when I was looking up some stuff about po- uh, toxic positivity after we started that conversation, one phrase that stuck out to me about toxic positivity, and a lot of these posts um, do that, those, uh, you know, those so-called positive emotions that kind of reject any negative emotions. And I got to be honest, there are a lot of educators that have a lot of negative emotions about what they've had to transition to. And it's got nothing dealing with, with kids or where they work or their district. A lot of it is about the own, the the juggling act between personal professional that they got to do. And then they look and see that you seem like you got it all together. And it just, now that I'm all for, I love the ones where, um, you can tell the excitement where they're so they're just so glad to be reconnected with kids and families because of like a two week silence. But mm-hmm. some it's a different stuff, tone though. It's yeah, a tone. you can tell some stuff. Just I'm like okay, like honestly, I'm gonna put it out there. You could tell by some posts that okay, when well, the next year or two we we see that this person is gonna be on the speaking circuit trying to use this use this uh, time frame as the basis of what they're all about and that they're an expert in it. Like it's obvious. Yeah. 
But you also wonder about them as the educator. And you also wonder about those educators that are thinking that way that aren't necessarily on social media. Like who out there is just thinking about just doing the um, flashy thing here or there and isn't making the phone calls to kids. Because I know in talking to my staff this past week, hearing them talk about the phone calls that they made to kids' houses and talking to those kids and how excited those kids were. You know, they're not posting that on social media, nope. but I could tell the excitement that they had in just having the conversation and the excitement that those kids had in, in hearing their teacher's voice. You know, we had another one of those quote unquote device handouts on Saturday. Just seeing the kids in the car again was awesome. I was just, it was just like a quick five second high, but it was just amazing. But I didn't take a picture of every single kid that came by and be like, look at this kid picking up a device. I mean, like why, why would you do that right now? It's just not appropriate. I don't think. I know. And and I think one thing that's where Voxer groups are good at, because the people that we interact with on Voxer, when we see we know their body of work and what they actually do, because we talk to them on a daily basis. So when we see their posts, we actually know that nah, their post isn't about toxic positivity. They've actually been successful at something that took work. And they're just trying to share that resource with somebody else to help to help them be able to skip some steps and just jump right to what they shared. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and I, I, I've got to say this, I do not envy a first year teacher right now. No. <laughs> like I do not envy a first year teacher right now. I don't envy a first year nah. teacher period, but what I like, it, it's hard. So when, when we all started teaching, Instagram did not exist, you know? Nah. And so there, there are so, there's so many things pushed out. Are you calling us old, Dina? <laughs> I'm saying we are seasoned. <laughs> um, Good, I'm sorry. When we, you know, when we first got into this profession, social media did not exist. And so, you know, we, uh, it's, I, I wanted to work and I, I, I think I was a pretty decent first year teacher, but I made a lot of rookie mistakes as do a lot of teachers when you get in. I mean, you, you do in any profession really, but, um, you know, I made a lot of, you know, rookie mistakes. And as I became better at my job, I made less rookie mistakes and, I'm at the point now where I can, I know in this very, you know, kind of like Buddhist way that this situation is temporary. You know, whatever I am feeling in this moment is temporary. It will not last forever. Um, You know, so therefore it enables me to open myself up and say, you know what? I have had, you know, moments throughout my career where I have perpetuated systemic issues. I have had moments within my career where I embraced practices that were not helpful and in some cases harmful to my students. There is nothing anybody can confront me with as a professional that I have not already come to the conclusion about on my own. So I'm open to that discussion. I'm open to being able to say, you know what, let me change your practice. I'm open to doing this. But if you are a first year teacher and you are barely surviving, and you're ba- you you know you, the technology is new to you, and managing your classroom is new to you, and you know building relationships with kids is new to you. I can only imagine what is going through the mind of this first year teacher in this situation where you now have to completely shift the the things that you started to get under control to now moving to what you have to deal with with all of this. Yeah, and you hope they have a good support system. It, it's and you and know, I would edu- they do, Go ahead. but I I know that I Still had hard. I had a really great mentor teacher who was my department chair when I started teaching. Um, but 
not everybody does. And if the closest thing that you have to a support system is, you know, what Jen Gonzalez refers to as the oak, when she, she did this whole article about, um, you know, being the marigold, planting yourself next to a marigold. Um, who is going to facilitate and help your growth versus putting yourself next to somebody who is not going to do that. And it's not, I don't know, it's the walnut tree. Walnut trees tend to rob the nutrients off of anything that's planted around it. If the closest thing you have to a support system is a walnut tree, you are not doing well right sure. now. You know, and it's like, yeah. and I feel for, I feel for those, for anybody who's in that situation. So then when you turn around as a, a means to just kind of get a break and log into Instagram and you see these teachers with their bright shining faces about how great their classrooms are. Or Pinterest. Yeah. Pinterest is the worst. <laughs> yeah. It's um and you know, and don't get me wrong, I get a I I get some really great things off of Pinterest, but I'm sure you do, but you don't get in your feelings but, because every time you see a Pinterest post because of the toxic positivity that's going on there. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> you also have to be able to you also have to be able yeah. to discern when your ego is taking over right you know right. and that's that's a huge thing of it is that the, the the toxic positivity tends to be based in the ego saying that you know well you can only focus on the thing that's positive because if you talk about anything that's negative then it's going to ruin someone's day right so i think so i think gerard we should probably i think i think we've exhausted this point and we're at a good point to stop i think but yeah and I'm going to throw it to you if you have any last words, but I just wanted to, my last word would be then from what Dina said, it made me think, you know, as if you're a, an educational leader out there, identify those people that may be falling into that bucket that Dina talked about at first, second, third year teacher. And in this time where more than ever, we need to lean on each other. How can we connect them with somebody who would not be the walnut tree? Um, and someone, even if that was like their quote unquote mentor in the classroom, you know, when we were in regular session, like, is there somebody else out there that may not even be in their school that you can connect them with? But Gerard, you got any final thoughts? I mean, and Dean and bio means you don't have to end the conversation. I just know. Gerard, you got anything? No, that, that was so good. I can't put any icing on that. The icing and the cake and everything's been baked. <laughs> I know. Dean always, Dean always just finishes us off. And it's like, all right, we're done. All right. In all seriousness though. Hey, um, so that's it for, I guess, episode eight, unless anyone's jumping with anything else. I think we're going to come back again next week, and maybe we'll be a little farther along in this pandemic, and we'll have definitely some more. I'll have my first week of school under my belt as far as online school. That'll be interesting. <laughs> Dean, I know you're you're wrapped up into this, but we'll see what the topic is next week. All right, y'all. Anything else before we end this? No, no it's, been, it's been great. All right. <laughs> All right, later. Coming from 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And, like, you know, what especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people, connect with more people whose mindset and goals. All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.